This is an Algoa FM news exclusive. In today's episode, I will be unpacking some of the details revealed by Arnold's lawyer in my previous episode entitled Innocent Until Proven Guilty. If you've not listened to it yet and you've been following this case, it's an absolute must for you to listen to episode 19. It's ruffled a few feathers and have made some people reconsider their stance on the matter. On more than one occasion, I expressed my shock as to how and why Arnold was granted bail after spending 15 months in custody and after asking Arnold's lawyer, Alvain Gribeno, to make me understand how that was possible, I am now shocked as to why he was not granted bail in the first place. Here is a snippet of my lengthy chat with Gribeno. We were able to show to the court that there were so many misleading statements made that the court's finding to which it came to say that indeed the state has got a strong case was not so. I've been focusing a lot of time and energy on the state's case against the accused, but as a journalist, I also need to be impartial and objective in my search for the truth. And at the moment, as things stand right now, Arnold has a fairly strong case. However, the state has not yet provided the defence with the final docket of all the evidence they have and intend to use against Arnold. He needs to disclose the content of the police docket and all evidence that he intends using at the trial prior to the trial commencing. Once the investigation is complete, he needs to disclose that to the defence. If and only if the trial reaches the stage for the defence to produce evidence, Arnold will most definitely testify in his own defence. But that is if that stage of the proceedings is reached. At the close of the state case, for the prosecution at any trial, if the court is of the opinion that there is no evidence that the accused committed the offence referred to in the charge or any offence of which he may be convicted on the charge, it may at that stage already return a verdict of not guilty. After chatting to Gribbeno, I took a fresh look at the two sworn affidavits handed in by lead investigating officer Kana Swanepoel, and I will break down some of my thoughts and findings. I want to take you right back to the very, very first affidavit from Colonel Swanepoel. This is now the evidence that was led in court uh, during Arnold's first bail application shortly after being arrested. Swanepoel states, and I quote, on the 1st of December 2020, Vicky filed for a divorce, citing that the marriage has suffered an irretrievable breakdown with extramarital affairs at the order of the day. A year earlier, the deceased also filed for a divorce, but the parties reconciled. It is now clear that Ter Blanche needed the extra time to hide and move his assets off his name. So if I read between the lines here, the state is suggesting that Arnold reconciled in order to start moving his assets around. Arnold obviously denies this, and according to his lawyer, the things he allegedly moved, or rather the things he moved, is worth a drop in his buckets of money. The Blanche systematically diminished the value of his estate by transferring his movable assets into the name of his family members. And Wiggle, the Blanche has also removed himself as director of Proac Engineering and replaced him with his son-in-law, thus creating the impression that he is unemployed. Now, he was removed as director in November 2019. That was prior to the first default summons being issued. So it wasn't done now in order to 
try and minimize his assets in the second divorce proceeding. The assets that the state alleged was moved is not even a 15th of his total assets. The extramarital affair the state refers to is, of course, the relationship with Crystal Wiggle, whom Vicky found out about. But we know now that Vicky was also in an extramarital affair with another woman who lived in the house with Vicky and Arnold. Vicky and this woman were deeply in love and Arnold made some reference to her when he spoke to Heisgenoot. I managed to track down this woman and I offered her an opportunity to speak to me since she was not a state witness because I figured if she lived with Vicky and Arnold, would she not have first-hand information about his alleged abuse and narcissistic tendencies? I was told by a source that Arnold wanted to get in on the sexual action between Vicky and this woman and when they refused, he allegedly kicked her out of the house, causing another crack in Vicky's fragile heart. I cannot imagine that the state did not speak to her, but they obviously felt that she could not assist in the investigation and therefore could not help to move the case forward, which is fair enough. She declined to speak to me, but I want to highlight that three days after Vicky's body was discovered, the girlfriend posted a beautiful picture of the two of them together on social media with the following message. I quote, My Scarpy, in life I loved you dearly. In death I still love you. In my heart you still hold a place that no one else will ever fill. You were the most incredible woman I have ever had the chance to love. Rest gentle beautiful. I can understand why Vicky said she felt true love for the first time in her life. What a beautiful thing to say about someone you care about. And here's just an observation from my side. When Arnold spoke about Vicky in the Heisgenoot Ware Levensdrama documentary, he made everything about him. How he helped a wounded soul, so to speak. He did not have a single nice thing to say about his dead, estranged wife, who also happens to be the mother of his child. Not one. Although he did state that at this point they were no longer in a relationship, they no longer loved one another, but still, maybe he could have said something nice about her. But be that as it may, I've said this for the longest time, Just because Arnold was perceived in public to be a narcissist, a terrible person, passive-aggressive, rude, dictatorial, manipulative, all these things, it doesn't make you a murderer. We know now that Leach said Cullis killed Vicky. Cullis said it was Leach. Arnold was never present at the crime scene and there is still no evidence that Arnold paid any substantial money to have Vicky killed. We know of money left for Leach at the Mill Park Security Office, but that's small change. It's not nearly enough money to agree to kill someone. If Arnold wanted Leach to kill Vicky, Leach would have had to ask for a substantial amount of money, right? Where's this money? Where's the proof that such money ever even existed? I feel like the information that's in the public domain at the moment regarding this case has been sucked dry. It is time for this trial to get underway. We need to see what the state has up its sleeve. Now, I want to make reference to another statement made by uh, Colonel Kanaswana Poole relating to the second set of charges faced by Arnold. 
And to jog your memory, this relates to the half a million rand Arnold paid over to Pindile Zweni, a state witness, allegedly to have his co-accused killed, for colours to change his statement, for Swanepoel to be removed from the case, to be warned if there's another raid in prison where he can lose his cell phone and so on and so on. In total, in the second docket, Arnold is facing seven more charges. One, conspiracy to commit murder, and six, for defeating the ends of justice. You can catch up on this background in episode seven of this podcast entitled The Friendship. Arnold had an explanation for his entire relationship with Sweeney, but there was a raid in prison where his phone was confiscated and police downloaded information from this phone and the state claims the following. It's only one sentence in this entire second affidavit and I quote, The conspiracy to have Leach, Cullis and De Ridder killed is discussed in detail in WhatsApp conversations. I'm going to read this again. The conspiracy to have Leach, Cullis and De Ridder killed is discussed in detail in WhatsApp conversations. This is explosive, right? We've not seen these so-called WhatsApp messages, and no doubt it would be included in the final docket once the state is ready to proceed with trial. Now, the way I understand this is there was a raid, Arnold's phone was taken, the information was downloaded, but Arnold allegedly had multiple SIM cards in prison. So which one did the state get their hands on? But remember, if you do a SIM card swap, the state would still be able to extract information from the device. Here's forensic analyst Teresa Kunika, whom I spoke to in episode 16. You see it quite often where people do SIM swapping so that you have one handset with multiple SIM cards. The problem is it's still the same handset, so you can still link the calls to the handset, although the SIM cards change. Definitely an attempt to evade the evidence of the investigation. At this point, I think that the only thing that can prove Arnold's involvement will be forensic evidence, phone data, call mapping, and this is a very complicated and sophisticated process, as explained here by Kunuka. In 2007, no prosecutor in this country wanted to touch cell phone evidence, let alone lead it in court. There's very few, literally a handful of experienced evidence analysts in this country. That an analyst should be involved in the investigation as soon as possible for the simple reason the investigating officer is led by, by what witnesses say. So what happens when you do a factory reset on a phone? I put the question to Teresa recently to ask if the state would still be able to see if calls were made between handsets if the phone was factory reset. And her answer was a yes and a no. Teresa said to me it depends if the phone has a backup to the cloud and if it does, the information can be extracted. However, if you do not have backup to the cloud, you will have to rely on the cell phone billing information that the service provider can give to you. And she says, usually your very, very fancy phones have backup to the cloud and can usually only save up to 200 phone calls, which I thought was quite interesting. And no doubt, Arnold had a fancy phone. So let's say Arnold did do a factory reset on his main device. Police never alleged this because they would have seen the only time they mentioned a factory reset was when they talked about Vicky's phone. That was allegedly factory reset by Reinhard Leach. 
I want to remind you of what Arnold's lawyer had to say about his client's phone, which he handed over on the night of his arrest. And remember now, this was his main device that he used, that he handed over on the night of his arrest. The state can prove with Arnold's cell phone whether uh, SIM cards were swapped or not. It wasn't swapped. The SIM card was never taken out and used in another phone, and there was never another SIM card put in his phone in order to avoid detection. There's no evidence to that effect. It did not happen. I do, however, have to point out that police claim to have evidence of conversations between Arnold and Leach that was under Crystal's name. Unfortunately, I never had the opportunity or the chance to ask Gribino about this in particular. We will now have to wait and see what the state comes up with. Because remember, Arnold was never present at the crime scene. His DNA is nowhere near it. The state says that Vicky was killed on his instructions. So the only way they can pinpoint this is on cell phone evidence and to follow the money. My suspicion at this point is that they have not yet found this money. In closing, I just want to mention that I have three phone numbers that was allegedly used by Arnold to Blanche while he was in prison. He admitted to having access to a phone. However, I want to just point out that one specific number, ending with the digits 9438, was used to communicate with Crystal Wiggle. The same number was used to intimidate state witness Leonie Jordan. It was also used to communicate with another female state witness. We also know that Kana Swanepoel said he traced this device to St. Albans. I dove into the messages sent to Leone in my episode entitled Interfering with State Witnesses. But in the messages sent to the second female from the same number, Vicky was being bad-mouthed, accused of having affairs, making bad choices, leaving the house for months, leaving the husband to look after their child and for having lesbian lovers. You know what was interesting to me? This was almost exactly the same stuff Arnold told Heisgenoot Ware Levensdrama. The phone number is Rika to a Tosa person and multiple sources told and showed me that the WhatsApp picture of this number changed on a regular basis. It even once had a photograph of a hand with the letter K, creating the impression that the phone belonged to Crystal or that she subsequently took over the number. So the only inference to be drawn is that these messages were from Arnold. But again, does this make him a killer or just a bully? That, that was an Algoa FM news exclusive.